If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to First Strike here on VEASAN. Going to break down UFC 279 for the next hour. Going to go to Arizona with Lou Finicaro, Jordan Sherwood in Chicago, and they're going to have Britton Hass, our producer, uh, give his, his thoughts as well. But what a treat to begin UFC 279. Maybe arguably the most, I don't know, just the, the wackiest 24 hours we've seen leading up to a pay-per-view. For Reed Kuhn to fly here from Washington, D.C. to be here in Las Vegas in studio. Reed, great to have you in studio, my friend. Boy, you picked a doozy of a card to try to run some numbers for. When we're trying to figure out here, as of our conversation, which fights we're actually going to see in the main card. Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, sometimes we do this. We will run matchups blind. Um, a coach might reach out, say, hey, we're looking at these three matchups. Which one is most favorable? And so we actually do that analysis and, you know, we'll, we'll exclude the odds and we're basically looking for what the lean is. Okay. Um, but that's the situation we're in. I have no idea where the prices are going to be, especially in an hour. I don't know if the <laughs> matchups are finalized, but we can at least have an opinion on it. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Like there was no chaos. Okay. You come here, you come out to Vegas. We're ready. We're getting fired up for Diaz against Chamayev. We saw the numbers earlier over what? 1100. Uh, it was looking like for, for Chimaev is the favorite. I think the comeback on Nate about plus $9, nine, nine to one, a huge underdog. And then we heard the issues and we saw during the week, they had problems even, you know, they're, they're fighting backstage allegedly and all these things. And then we see that Chimaev on, on weigh-in day here on a Friday in Las Vegas is almost eight pounds north of the 170 limit. How do you, how do you compartmentalize those things? Now, again, it looks like the fight might be off as, as of this, this taping. But at that point, let's just say it was still on, and he had that eight-pound advantage. How does that factor in with the numbers? So we try to be agnostic of things like weight class shifting and weigh-ins, and we try to just go straight by the numbers okay. and leave it like that. However, this matchup did have issues already. Think about this. 28 minutes of sample size for Shemaev. Not a lot of fight time. He's, he does have technically five fights, but some of those fights did not last very long. Mm -hmm. So the performance metrics are already skewed. Then you go over to Diaz. He's been out of the cage for over a year. He's only fought three fights in the last five years. He barely even qualifies to do any quantitative analysis at all. And so this was a fight where, shockingly, you're like, well, Shemayev hasn't fought much, but he's actually fought more than Diaz has in the last five years. Um, so that was already red flags. I didn't like that. And then you add in this skewed price. It just doesn't make sense. What are we going to do? Like bring a you know, suitcase full of cash just to bet anything on Shemaev. Um, so it, this was probably just going to be a pass or like parlay, you know. Yeah. Plan. And by the way, as of our conversation right now, those numbers did drop significantly. Shemaev is now, again, we'll find out if the fight even happens. There's so many rumors that we'll get to uh, to try to, to make the best educated uh, idea of what fights we might actually see, whether it's going to be Tony Ferguson stepping in. And really Dana White's right now as we speak – trying to piecemeal meal this together and get other fighters in there uh, for these issues of weight. But yeah, you try to then quantitatively not factor in the weight disparages that we see on a, on a weigh-in day, right? You just try to go with the data that's already been presented before the fights. Yes. Yeah. I want to, I want to make it as by the numbers as possible. I want to remove myself from that equation as much as I can. 
this is an extreme situation. I, I probably would have intervened. Just, you know, we spit out a number and I'm probably going to just back off of it. The price in this case is what tipped me over. Okay. Because if this was a, a fair matchup, an even matchup, I might be tempted to play here despite the sample size limitations. I, I would have backed Shemaev. Uh, but with the price, it just doesn't make sense. No, you know, I, there's value to be made elsewhere. So you got to put your money where you actually think there's value. All right, let's try to find some of that value. And again, if you guys, you got to check out, Reed's got a book of Fightnomics that's already out. You can certainly uh, get that. You can follow him on Twitter at Fightnomics, uh, the name of the same book. I do want to talk hypothetically, if this fight does happen, because you've already been able to enter in some, D, in some data on Diaz against Tony Ferguson. If this is in fact what we're going to see tomorrow night, in the main event. I got to be honest with you, I'm more intrigued by that potential matchup that I would have been Chimaev against Nate Diaz, just from a purely fighting standpoint here. You've got tons of data when you look at Ferguson against Diaz. Is there a lean, without knowing what the number potentially could be, that you've already been able to find there? Yeah, I, it's interesting. Um, Ferguson has been fighting his kryptonite for several fights in a row. There were several fights in a row where he just got taken down over and over by a wrestler. Not Nate Diaz. He got... Uh, knocked out with vicious striking from Michael Chandler, also has a wrestling base. Uh, that is not Nate Diaz. He is a pressure striker. He's slick. He does have guard game, got good submissions, but mm -hmm. completely different threats that Diaz brings in this matchup, and none of them are really what was giving Ferguson a problem in his last few fights. Um, so based on that, you know, if you, if you line these two guys up, you would actually give the ground advantage to Ferguson uh, in terms of control time, and takedowns, you know, Nate Diaz is probably not going to be shooting for a takedown. I don't think we've ever seen that. <laughs> He's willing to fight off his back, though, yeah. and he might end up there. So then it becomes, well, does he catch Ferguson with a guillotine every time he comes in, uh, or does he lose the round? And Ferguson, you know, wrestles him. Uh, but Ferguson is still a good striker. He's still accurate. He's he's high pace. Uh, so he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Diaz, and he doesn't have that same knockout risk, I think, facing Diaz as he would have against, you know, Lee, for example, if, if that matchup holds um, or someone like Chandler or some of the other guys he fought recently. So it's actually a much better matchup for Ferguson, and I would probably lean his way for value. Uh, th that's fascinating. And again, we're trying to find out now because what we're hearing is that he might, Tony, might not be more apt to want to fight a five-round main event fight for a, a fight against Lee that he was training for for three rounds. So you train differently depending on whether or not it's potentially a main event that's five or three uh, in the shorter matchups here. I'm sure Nate's like, I don't care. Just, just throw whoever you want, because Nate did make weight. Like, yeah. he did his part, and Shemaev was way off on the scales. The other fight that we might potentially have tomorrow night could be Kevin Holland now against Shemaev. And you and I, briefly, when I came in here before we started the show, we're like, well, how would that make sense? Well, this is would be a catch weight for, for two guys that look like they've been struggling to make weight anyway. Does this make sense? And do you have enough data to have a lean if it is Shemaev against Kevin Holland? This one's a little bit easier just because of the styles mismatch. Um, I was all over Holland as the better striker against Rodriguez, mm -hmm. and that was going to be probably a striking duel. That was going to be a really fun fight. Um, so if that doesn't happen, Holland now goes against someone who can wrestle and, and grapple. Holland has been taken down 40 times <laughs> in the UFC. His takedown defense is a mere 50%. That's way below average. And guess what he's about to face? Comes at Shemayev. Boy. So, like, he is going to get pinned on the mat over and over again, and that's a, just a stylistically horrible matchup for him. Yeah, that one would be, to me, and I, I get it. Fighters have been training, even though they've been missing weight, but they want to fight. They want their payday tomorrow night, but that feels like a terrible matchup, and the numbers bear it out for Kevin Holland. He's got to keep the fight standing to have any chance, correct? Yes, and, and he does pose better threats on the feet than Nate Diaz would have because he does have power. Yes. He, he has very slick, very accurate striking. He can find the chin, and he represents a threat that Nate Diaz did not with one-punch knockout or kicking power. So Holland does have a chance, so that's why the lines are going to be a lot closer. You're not going to see 10-1, to 1, but you are probably going to see Shmaev as the favorite. All right, so one more of the hypotheticals that we have to see if, if you can get a lean. Again, we don't have prices because these fights are not official. But let's talk about if Daniel Rodriguez gets matched up here with Jing Leon Lee. So is there any lean that we'd see? Remember, Rodriguez was supposed to fight Kevin Holland, and, and Lee uh, obviously is supposed to fight uh, El Kukui and Tony Ferguson. So these are what Dana is attempting to do is kind of flip this main, main event card and, and reposition the fighters 24 hours before a fight. It's crazy. But is there any lean that you might see if it's Lee against Rodriguez? 
Yeah, I, these are two very good strikers. So for Rodriguez, the matchup doesn't really change. Now he's fighting a guy who at least doesn't have the range issues that Kevin Holland presented. Mm -hmm. So Rodriguez is going to have a more of a fair shake with his striking, I think. He's going to be able to unleash. And whereas I did not really like the matchup with Holland, I actually do like the matchup versus Lee. Mm. I think Rodriguez has the better hands. He's more accurate. And Lee at this point... While dangerous offensively, he is also vulnerable to knockdowns. He has been dropped five times. That's a pretty bad rating for someone on on this card. Um, so I would actually give the advantage to Rodriguez, and they are going to go toe-to-toe for three rounds. I think eventually it's Rodriguez still standing, and it's Lee on the ground. Fascinating. That, that quickly, you can pop in those numbers and get some sort of leans without knowing prices uh, on these fights because these are unofficial as we speak right now. By the way, as if it's not hard enough to handicap, in mixed martial arts. How about this 24 hours? I mean, this is, this is as bizarre a pay-per-view yeah. as I can recall, uh, certainly since in the year plus that I've been out here in Las Vegas, but does it make it, is it much harder to do it without the prices or is it easier that you can just put in the raw data? Sticking to a purely quantitative approach makes it easier in that respect because I can just ignore the rest of it. This is just a different combination of matchups, put in a different price, okay. let's see what the numbers say. So on, on my side, it's actually not that big a deal. I'm here, and it's impossible not to notice the T-shirts. I saw a lot of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu <laughs> shirts around Caesars Palace last night. Right. Um, so there's going to be some upset folks. <laughs> Tickets are probably still on sale. But more interestingly, I mean, the, the sports books here are going to be dealing with this. People are going to be at the counter returning tickets. Yes. A lot of people were placing action yesterday. Uh, so it's going to be more chaos for the Las Vegas experience. Um, hopefully I'm, I'm going to be sitting in my seat somewhere during the fights, whatever matchups come out. Right. Hopefully I got action on it. Uh, if you don't mind, since you came all the way here to Las Vegas, you mind sticking around for the rest of the show? Absolutely. All right. We're going to have Reed join us uh, again. This is uh, as we speak, people, we're just trying to give you the best information, but I got to tell you for Reed to be able to give you those uh, hypotheticals, at least the leans on fights that are not established as of yet, but it's looking like the UFC might be going that way. That's information you're going to get from Reed Kuhn. That's why I implore you to follow him on Twitter at Fightnomics. Check out the book, uh, Fightnomics, as well. Great information. Reed's going to join us later on. But when we come back, we will go to Arizona. Lou Finicaro uh, takes a look at those weigh-ins uh, like a hawk. And I'll get Lou's thoughts on what he saw today and one of the more chaotic weigh-ins as you prepare for a pay-per-view. We'll try to pick up the pieces right here on First Strike on these and the Sports Betting Network. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you plenty of ways to bet the UFC. Just download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. You're going to be able to bet on more than just the main event. DraftKings has great odds on fight lines, total rounds, and futures for all MMA events. Eligible restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for the full terms and conditions. We continue here. First strike here on Vison Dave Ross back here at Circuit Sportsbook. A pleasure to be joined each and every week by our guy Lou Finicaro. You can follow Lou as I do at Gam Blue, of course, the ho- the host of the Bout Business Podcast. Lou, before we get to the chaos, let's start off with the calm, and that is the Bout Business Podcast. What do you give the people on a normal Friday when you actually know what the fights are going to be? Yeah, that's a great point. But what they get are 16 to 18 minutes of simple final releases that are tabulated and carried through to the end of the year on an Excel spreadsheet calculated with winning percentage and ROI. Uh, the, the Bout Business Podcast is completed for today, and we simply tried to avoid the fights where there was unknown, and there's a handful of those. Absolutely. And Lou, that's the the elephant in the room here. And again, as we record uh, First Strike here on a Friday, this is subject to change. So we're just trying to go with what we know as this moment. This has been one of the more chaotic, certainly pay-per-view events that Dana White's trying to hold together here for UFC 279. So in, instead of, we'll, we'll try to figure out Diaz, Shemaev, if that's going to come off or not. Let's get to some fights that I know that we still believe are going to be, in fact, on. That's Irene Aldana against Macy Chase on here. Aldana, I'm seeing here at DraftKings, minus $1.70. Chase on the comeback here is plus $1.45. What do you make of this ladies' matchup here? Well, this is a matchup that I was really waiting to make opinion on because Chasson has had difficulty making 100 and 35 pounds previously. Her last scheduled 135 pound fight was a 140 catch weight because she had that difficulty. Her last fight was at 145, no problem. It's interesting enough that during the weigh-in procedure, it was announced that both of these ladies agreed to go from 35 to 40 in a in a catch weight, which means that neither wanted to compromise their purse because they were both having issues making weight. Chaseon, because she's a huge girl, Aldana, perhaps the 22 months of inactivity were somewhat of a uh, res- of a response or reaction to the weight cut. So. Now they agree to go to 140. They weigh in a few minutes after the agreement. Shasan won 39 and a half and Aldana 37 and a half. To me, as I boil through all of that, yeah, maybe Aldana was the one closest to making the weight, but why would she ever agree to fight Macy, a larger woman who's much more accustomed to 145 at a higher catch weight? Uh, I think that is a tell for me. It makes me lean towards Chasan, who's going to be two inches taller, have reach uh, advantages over Aldana, who's primarily a striker. And we know that Chasan wants to negate distance and crowd her. So will the larger lady be able to get the striker Aldana to the floor? I think so. And if she does, it's my belief she'll hold great advantage. Now, there it is. If Macy can get this fight down there, you see here, sub is 16 to 1. To win by decision, uh, you get a better price tag there on Macy as the underdog at plus 275. Uh, and to, just to win inside of the three rounds by, by a finish, that's 5 to 1. Are there any sides there, if you like the underdog, that you might uh, like it even a better value? Over two and a half, 190, it tells you that it's a typical ladies' bantam mm-hmm. weight. They thought fight and that they tip tap and and it's a cat fight for 15 minutes and I think that's what this is going to be so that leans me to the Chesson decision which comes at 250 or plus 260. Lou, hopefully a fight that won't be affected on this card. You and I talked a little bit about it on Tuesday first strike first look and, and that is Johnny Walker against Ian Kutsalaba. We know that uh, Kutsalaba is can be a wild man in there. We know Johnny Walker sometimes can be a bit of a wild card inside that octagon as well. The comeback on Johnny right now is plus $1.70. Uh, Kutalaba, about a 205 favorite here, plus $1.75. It's ticked up a little bit uh, towards the favorite here. Not a whole lot uh, of difference there in age, obviously, at 30 and 28, but you do see there the height that Johnny Walker's got a five inch height advantage. And look at the reach, seven inches there. Does that mean that possibly with those long arms and longer frame that Johnny Walker as a dog could be in play? Those numeric advantages stand uh, in such grotesque uh, numbers 
they, they have to be considered. Uh, what everyone's looking at is what's happened in the past with Walker getting iced, and he does have a porcelain chin. So that has to be understood, and Kutalaba has power. Kutalaba's the more well-rounded fighter. However, the athleticism of Walker, his structure, size, length, reach, and overall, his athleticism, coupled with Kutalaba's fight style. He's a wild bull of the pompous, and he's going to come straight at him. Kutalaba going to run into a shin or an elbow. I think it's a really good spot for Johnny Walker. He's recently made some personal diagnoses over CBD oil and other stuff that he's been using that was affecting him adversely. Listen, if Kutalaba gives him a Sunday shot right on the chin, he's out. And that's a dubious position, taking a guy with a balsa wood beak like that. <laughs> but I think Johnny Walker is athletic enough and flashy enough, and this is a perfect setup for him. I love Johnny Walker in this fight. And you look at this, Lou, how about this? For one and a half in a potential three-round matchup here, plus money on the over. So juice to the under, minus $1.55. We, we know that Johnny Walker has a propensity to make it a quick, quick night uh, one way or the other for Johnny. Uh, would you be maybe dabbling on the over here at plus money to think if this is get uh, at least late into the into the second round? Hey, we're going to have to cut off this relationship if you're <laughs> going to start if you're going to start predicting where I'm going on these things. But you're exactly right. Listen, Johnny Walker in Ireland and his training has taught him and has manipulated his style from crazy aggressive to somewhat uh, distanced and measured. Uh, some are debating whether that's good or bad, but I see Johnny Walker doing everything in his power to maintain distance and keeping Kutalab at the end of his strikes. Absolutely, I lean over. All right, well, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I like when I'm uh, in wavelength with you, Lou, on some of these numbers here that we see in the board. I do want to talk about one of the bigger favorites uh, that are out there, and obviously some of these in the prelims, you're going to see some bigger numbers than maybe what you're going to see in the main card. And again, this is because the main card could be jumbled uh, as, a, our, uh, as of our conversation as we speak here. But I look at Norma Dumont, and she's almost a $4 betting favorite uh, against Danielle Wolf here at plus 320 on the comeback here on the underdog. Is this a live dog scenario here? Do you think Dumont should be rightfully this four to one favorite? Well, Dumont's the mixed martial artist, and uh, Wolf is a gal coming in that's a boxing background and has no idea what wrestling or grappling <laughs> is. So we know what Dumont's going to do is try and get in there and grope her and take her down and rub her out on the mat. Uh, what can Wolf do to stop that? To me, this is more a due diligence fight that I'm going to learn about Wolf here. Uh, but uh, I, I do think that Dumont, uh, he's, she's the natural 145-pounder. Both of those gals had had to use the towel to make weight today. Uh, but I, I think that Dumont uh, uh, probably has the more realistic chance, and the puncher's chance would go to Wolf. Uh, very quickly, because, again, you do glean a lot from these weigh-ins. We're going to talk more about this here before we wrap up this conversation. Anything else maybe in the undercard on the prelims that you still see value in here that we didn't get to on a Tuesday that maybe here on a Friday, 24 hours away, that you might still like here on the undercard? Well, a handicap that I uh, published for the uh, VEASAN webpage, it used to be Point Spread Weekly. I'm not sure how to refer to it anymore. <laughs> Uh, but what was published in my articles was Liness, the first fight against Weeks. Uh, Liness has uh, been matched up with a fighter that's almost an exact clone of who he fought in his debut. And mm -hmm. in his debut, he came out in the first round and looked like a world beater. But he fought his whole fight in three minutes, ran out of gas, and got finished. Now it was his debut, and now he's learned, and I look for a bounce. He's a taller, longer, more structured fighter than his opponent, Darian Weeks who's 0-2 in the UFC. Weeks is the slight favorite. This fight has hovered just about Pickham or with Weeks at minus 125 and Liness at plus 105 or 110 all week. I think this is a great spot for the Canadian Liness. Uh, plus a dollar here on Liness. Weeks, as you mentioned, the small favorite at minus $1.20. Very quickly, got about 45 seconds to go here, Lou. When you watch the weigh-ins today, so many fighters struggling to make weight, not making weight here. You know, a lot of times they, they look at the, the, the differentiation in the uh, fight weight classes here, and they go, why don't they do 10-pound 10 10 denominations here in the higher weight classes? After today, Lou, do you think there's a better case for it? No, that's not going to change things. What's causing weight misses is greedy athletes that 
want to be bullies and fight smaller guys and they try and cut too much weight. If people had to fight at their own weight classes, you'd see an awful lot of different champions. Yeah, that's a great point right there that that's what a lot of these fighters do. They want to be in the on the heavy end of the smaller weight class here to have that physical advantage. So be very interesting to see how this plays out in the next 24 hours. Lou, really appreciate it, man. As always, great catching up. Follow him on Twitter at Gamble and check out the Bout Business Podcast. When we come back, Going to go back to Chicago, catch up with Jordan Sherwood right here. First Strike on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Start your morning with VEASAN's new podcast, VEASAN Daily Morning Bets. Josh Applebaum gives you every piece of info you need to be ready for betting the day's biggest games in just 15 minutes. He discusses line movements, injuries, and what you need to be looking for and what bets you should be making. Make the VEASAN Daily Morning Bets podcast part of your morning routine. Download and subscribe whenever and wherever you get your podcast. Dave Ross back here at Circus Sportsbook in Las Vegas. A pleasure, as always, to go out to the city of Chicago to catch up with Jordan Sherwood. You can follow him at Woodon ESPN 1000 in the great second city. Whew. Uh, Jordan, I, you said to me before we started here, you have never refreshed your browser more than you have today with the chaos that is UFC 279. What do you make of the calamity here as we speak 24 hours before a main event, we really aren't sure what it might be as of yet. I mean, I think we've grown to expect the unexpected with the UFC. Uh, you know, we, we, we were talking off the air about previous events being canceled, reshuffled. But I will say this is if what we're hearing comes to fruition, and that's Nate versus Tony, Hamza Shemaya versus Kevin Holland, and, and the Leech versus Daniel Rodriguez, I think we have a better card that originally was slated for UFC 279 both from a betting perspective as well as uh, from a stylistic and matchup perspective. I couldn't agree more, Jordan. And again, uh, talking to Lou and Reed Kuhn earlier in the program, you know, Reed gave us his leans already on those possible matchups here uh, without knowing the numbers. And again, we're, we're just kind of, we're, we're, we're picking up the tea leaves of what Dana White's trying to do here to save this UFC 279 card. I'm with you. Those matchups actually would be better from a fan's perspective and maybe a more equal from a betting perspective. We did see the number coming down on Nate Diaz once we heard that that, that uh, Chimaev had missed weight so badly, almost eight pounds over. Uh, what would you make of a Tony Ferguson against a Nate Diaz matchup if that is, in fact, the main event we get tomorrow night? Yeah, I, I think I think it's a virtual pick because, you know, when we were handicapping Nate Diaz, you had to take into account the takedowns. 
We were referencing his previous bouts at welterweight, like against Rory McDonald, where he was just ragged out. That wouldn't be the case with Tony Ferguson, albeit that Tony Ferguson does have grappling. He's got some good submissions. I think we would look at a three or five round stand up war between the two. And if you're talking that and, and Nate Diaz doesn't have to worry about takedowns, um, I, I favor him in, in, in a matchup like that because of just the boxing acumen that he has, his toughness. The guy never gets stopped. And I was, I was actually going to recommend playing the over at four and a half. I, I just felt like unless the doctors were going to come in against in the matchup against Shamayev and stop the fight, I thought Nate Diaz was going to be tough enough to survive a you know a bludgering five rounds. Uh, so now in a, in a in a fight that he doesn't have to worry about the grappling, I favor Nate Diaz in that matchup, whether he's the slight favorite or a slight underdog. So again, in the original matchup with, with Diaz against Chimaev, your play would have been the over four and a half rounds, knowing the toughness we saw it against Leon Edwards. He was dominated uh, for four and a half rounds. Of course, gets in you know one big punch, almost turned that fight around there if he followed up. That would have been your play if that main event had stayed, would have been the over four and a half? Yeah, it would have been a risky proposition, certainly because we know about the lacerations, the history of Nate Diaz. He obviously Dr. Stoppage in the fight against Jorge Masvidal. He did get stopped one time before earlier in his career against Josh Thompson, but that was a head kick followed up by punches. But other than that, like the dude's gone three or five rounds and never gets stopped. He just is that tough. So I would have banked on that, uh, especially because we also have never had never seen Shamayev go five rounds. Does he tire into rounds four, rounds five, where you know, Nate Diaz, you know, runs marathons to prepare for fights <laughs> uh, for fun. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's where I would have leaned. And it was big plus money, like plus four to one uh, in some circles. But obviously, that's not the bet we're going to make. It's not the fight we're going to get. Uh, and we'll maybe get some value as, if Nate Diaz is the underdog against Tony Ferguson. Uh, running marathons for any reason doesn't sound fun to me, but it is for Nate Diaz. Yeah. Let's talk about Shemayev here, then. If he does get this new opponent, and, and it is Big Mouth himself, Kevin Holland, who likes to talk a whole lot. Sometimes he's talking from his back. Uh, that would not seem to be a good proposition if this is the matchup we get here to catch weight, possibly around 180 pounds. How would you look at that fight? Would there be any shot for the upset? Look, Chimaya feels like a mismatch right now for anybody not named Gilbert Burns. Uh, what would you make if that matchup does come to fruition? Yeah, I mean, I think I saw it potentially posted at Shemaev as, you know, minus 450 favorite. I, I, I like those I, because I just, we, we know Kevin Holland struggles with, in the grappling department at middleweight. He really got taken down a ton. I don't think he's improved that portion of his game. I actually, prior to all this craziness, was favoring Daniel Rodriguez in his fight uh, against Kevin Holland because I just thought stylistically he matched up well. Um, so I, I think you play the over in that in that card. I think Kevin Holland is likely tough enough to survive a three-round or maybe a five-round fight with Shemaev, but uh, I, I don't think he has a, a good chance if that fight does come to fruition. Stylistically, it's just a bad matchup for him. So you, you liked Rodriguez possibly uh, in that matchup initially against Kevin Holland. If he does now get Lee as they try to reshuffle this whole fight card, how does that change of opponent affect Rodriguez? If it was a favorable matchup, would this be as favorable? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I Well, here's the thing. I liked Tony Ferguson in the matchup with the Leech because of pressure. Because, you know, being able to maybe get some takedowns, even though we haven't seen it at welterweight. Now, Daniel Rodriguez uh, just has to, you know, utilize his boxing and, and his pressure game uh, to, to kind of, you know, trouble the leech. Whereas now the leech probably won't rely on his power, but will have to rely on his takedowns. They're good. They're not great. And Daniel Rodriguez has had some solid uh, takedown defense. And I, and I like Daniel Rodriguez. I mean, I think he's 16 and two for a reason. I think he should be undefeated in the UFC. Mm. Uh, the matchup that he uh, fought against Nicholas Dalby and lost, everybody scored the fight for him. So I think he's a dollar fifty favorite. I like that play against uh, the Leech tomorrow night. Okay, let's talk about a fight that we, as of right now, we do believe is in fact going to happen, and that's Johnny Walker against the Wild Man. That can be uh, Ian Kutsalaba here. What do you make of this matchup here? Walker, a sizable dog, plus a dollar seventy. I'm seeing the DraftKings today. Do you like Kutalaba in this matchup for a guy in Johnny Walker who's had a weak chin, or do you think the, the underdog's in play? Yeah, how crazy is this that, like, we, we forget this is opening the card. Like, of all the <laughs> nuts that's, that's happened, this, these two crazy guys are opening up the card. Uh, I, I've talked about this. I talked about this on, on my podcast, uh, the Unnamed MMA podcast in ESPN Chicago. I think Kutalaba is a bad matchup for Johnny Walker. I think the chin is gone, albeit I understand Two fights ago, he did go five rounds with Tiago Santos, but both guys were really tentative in that fight. Walker's a guy that gets finished early. 
Kude Lava comes out like a house of fire. I think he's getting a finish within a round, round and a half. Probably my, my more favorable play would just be on the total, the under at one and a half, because, you know, Kude Lava does have some brain farts for sure mm-hmm. within the octagon. We've seen him get finished in the first round, but the takedowns will be there for sure. I think ground and pound. So for me, my, 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 my play is the under at one and a half, because I think either one guy could finish each other within the first uh, seven and a half, eight minutes of the fight. If not, I'm going to put Kude Lava into a parlay because I, I do like him stylistically to win the matchup over Johnny Walker. Just takedowns, overall aggression, and the strength in his, in his punches is going to be enough to get the Johnny Walker out of there. For those new to MMA, the key phrase over the next 24 hours might be catch weight. And it looks like we might have another one here with, with Aldana against Macy Chase on here. It looks like they might be go ahead and fighting right around 140 pounds is what we're hearing there. How, does that affect what your initial handicap would have been if they were fighting at 135? Or does it change at all the equation if this is now, in fact, a catchweight battle to buck 40? Well, Macy Chase on has, has jumped from featherweight to bantamweight, so it doesn't concern me at all for, for her. And Irene Aldana, I, I think, has always been you know, a, a bigger fighter for her division. Uh, she's obviously going to have a boxing, you know, a- advantage for sure uh, in this fight. But if you if you like Macy Chasson, you think that she's going to get the fight in the clinch. She's going to dirty it up a little bit, maybe get some takedowns. And I think really it's recency bias. Uh, Irene Aldana has been in main events before. Uh, she had that impressive victory over Ketlin Vieira mm-hmm. a couple of fights ago. But I think Macy Chasson might be a live dog just because stylistically, if she could avoid the, you know, the, the length and the boxing of Aldana, get inside a phone booth, dirty it up a little bit, get a takedown. Uh, she should have the advantage. All right. You mentioned the uh, unnamed MMA podcast. Was, was there anything else on that pod that you liked earlier in the week when you looked before all the chaos uh, began here for all these switching of fights? Maybe on the prelims, Jordan, that you've identified as pretty good value? Yeah. I mean, look, I hate recommending an over in a heavyweight fight because that means we're in probably in store for a snooze fest, <laughs> but Jake Collier and Chris Barnett, like, I think they're just going to dance around each other for three rounds. Collier's going to play it safe, pepper him with jabs, maybe look for a takedown. It didn't make me feel great about it because Barnett missed weight. I mean, third guy ever to miss weight at heavyweight. How do you do that? I mean, the <laughs> fame must have been open for sure, but nonetheless, uh, I think the over, uh, neither one guy is going to finish each other. We're going to get a pretty boring fight at heavyweight. Jake Collier gets his hand raised. Unanimous decision on the scorecard. All right, we've got about 45 seconds to go, Jordan. Just in general, because, you know, sometimes once you get past the 35, 45, 50, you jump to 70, you jump to 85, you jump to 205. Do you think with all these catchweight bouts that we're having now, is there a case to be made that they should make more divisions so it's easier to make weight, or do you think that the tough is what makes it good? Yeah, I, I think what's tough, it makes it good. I, I, I think that's one of the reasons probably why I'm not a huge boxing fan is because they've got so many different weight classes defined by three or four pounds. It's been definitive for years. These guys know what they're supposed to make from a contracted weight standpoint. And just like Dana White, he doesn't like catch weight fights because they really don't do anything to set up future fights for future title holders. But let's get all these fights lined up so we can have a great UFC 79. I see your White Sox jersey you got on there, your, your pull over there. They're still not dead. This fight card's not dead. We appreciate it, Jordan Sherwood from Chicago. When we come back, we're going to have Reed Coon rejoin us here on First Strike on Visa in the Sports Betting Network. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. 
Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of First Strike is brought to you by Yes on Prop 27 and DraftKings. Half the country already allows online sports betting for adults 21 or older. It's time to let California fans in on the action. There's no good reason your friends in New York, Chicago, Phoenix, Portland, and Boston can bet online. But Californians are still forced to deal with shady bookies. Prop 27 ensures California finally catches up. So vote Yes on Prop 27. Back alongside Reed Kuhn here in studio. This is First Strike in advance of UFC 279. It's absolutely insane. Our producer, Britton Hess, is bringing us the latest information. If there's anything that changes, Reed, in our conversation. As of right now, we're still hearing there may be a new event here, main event here, with uh, Tony Ferguson against Nate Diaz. Uh, Kevin Holland might then fight Shemaev at a catchweight, and maybe Lee against Rodriguez as well as they kind of reposition uh, that main card here. First of all, you come from the great DMV area. You you told me that there's a a new beautiful casino in Maryland. But right now, Virginia, my old home state, still doesn't have sports betting. Nothing physical, but the apps are great. It went mobile instantly. We've been live uh, since, I think, spring of 2021. Uh, Lots of different options. So that's great for the market. You have competitive dynamics there. In D.C., it was actually a pretty bad situation. You had one player... Prices were horrible, yeah. uh, but Virginia did it right. We Competition is good, people. That's what we want. You want to have more outlets, more venues. We always tell you to check for the best prices. Certainly, that's an advantage of here of living here out in Las Vegas. All right, Reed, let's do this, uh, this task of trying to get through this UFC 279 card. Again, not fully knowing uh, what to expect, but there are some other fights on the card that I know that you liked, obviously, before the chaos of the weigh-ins, and one of those was Jay Collier uh, against uh, Chris Barnett. Barnett making some sort of history as being only the third heavyweight to ever miss weight, uh, but yet this fight will go on. You look at it now, Collier is a solid favorite here, 4-1, to one, a minus 410 here at DraftKings. The comeback on Barnett, plus 330. How do you gauge it when the guy couldn't make the 265, 266, comes in at 267.5? Does that, does that sway the numbers at all? Again, you're pretty good about putting in the data, uh, kind of regardless of what we see in the scale. Yeah, in this case, it helps, right? Uh, so I try to ignore these things, but you know, half the time it's falling your way and half the time it's going the other. So mm-hmm. uh, this is a situation that actually helps us. So not not making weight at heavyweight, not a huge deal. You're not concerned about his health. You don't think he had like a bad weight cut. Right. He just couldn't close the last mile. Uh, he probably just didn't manage it very well. So I, I would watch that here. But I, I was already backing Jake Collier long ago when the, when the fight was first released. The lines were actually a little bit more affordable. He was still the favorite. It's been getting steamed quite a lot since then, uh, but I still think there's value there. It's just a it's a clean sweep. The one area maybe Barnett's power. He does swing big, but he's going to be outranged. He's going to be outsized, and he's going to be getting hit a lot. He has the worst head strike defense of anybody on this card, and he's going to get tagged. Uh, Reed, I want you to expand on that because you made a point a, a couple episodes ago here in First Strike. It's in the Gerald Mearshart fight, and I remember it well, where the number got to a point where you said there is value. On, on Gerald Mearshart, and lo and behold, that value cashed that day for you. And yet, even though this has still been steamed to minus $4, you still think that value, it's not there on the underdog. Where is the demarcation line for you when you look at the numbers versus the price to say that this is maybe a, a spot that you could then hop in? It's hard to say uh, because odds are predictive. Yep. So anybody doing quantitative analysis is probably going to be including odds in their model, and I do too. Uh, so I would have to actually, you know, run several scenarios and mm-hmm. we have actually done that before um it's just not very practical so i don't i don't look for that price okay if, if it's the price right now that's the one i'm hitting uh but in this case yeah it, he's just such a justifiable favorite there's still value even though the line is there but practically speaking you're probably going to be using him in parlays anyway but this is a chalky card so go find those favorites that you like 
and make Collier part of, part of that. Hey, there you go. And certainly it's going to be, uh, I would think, in parlay selections as well. Collier could be one that you put in there. Uh, it's still a, a, a price point that the numbers bear out is still a good price. And sometimes people get scared off by the big number, but if the, the numbers and the data still supports it, you don't have to get scared off, even though it's been steamed in that direction. Uh, Ian Kutalaba is an interesting fighter, to say the least. He can be a bit of a wild man, and so can Johnny Walker. When you look at this fight here, potentially three rounds, now the numbers are saying, or at least the, the money is saying, it's not, because right now it's juiced to the under a round and a half here. What are you seeing either on the side or the total? Is there any advantage that you found with the numbers? I like Q to lobby here. Um, so these are light heavyweights and I tend to ignore heavyweights and light heavyweights when it comes to the totals. That said, clean side, we do have good data. Johnny Walker hasn't always had the longest fights, um, <laughs> win or lose. He still has great power, but we are also seeing that he has a liability with his chin. So, uh, that's a concern. He, he is not going to be the better striker between the two in terms of, um, taking shots and continuing to come forward. I see Kutalaba as having an advantage on the feet a little bit, uh, but also has an advantage on the ground. Kutalaba, surprisingly, actually does take more takedowns than his average in the UFC. So um, if anybody is going to take this to the ground, it's going to be Kutalaba. So that tells me he has advantages in both situations. So I'm going to back Kutalaba here. Finally, we have a price that is at least not crazy. Right. Um, so it's more affordable. Uh, maybe you pair him with Collier and you get almost even money. Um, but yeah, cute lava. I like, I like the matchup here. And you know, that's interesting too, that you just told me that the pathways to victory is something that I look for in handicap, certainly. And it feels like both pathways favor the favorite. And it's only a two to one betting favorite here that he would have the advantage on the ground. And certainly with the chin of Johnny Walker, although he's a good striker, he doesn't exactly take those strikes the same way he dishes them out. So you're finding advantages either way with Kutalaba, right? Yeah, I like that. And uh, that's a liability. When you when you look at someone who has been knocked out badly in the past, and yeah. Walker has taken some bad knockouts, that's not something that gets better with time. You know, damage <laughs> right. is cumulative. Your chin doesn't get better right. as you, you know, get older. Yeah, they say father time is undefeated. Um, so is CTE, unfortunately. <laughs> right. So with Johnny Walker, um, he, he's going to take some shots here because Kudalaba is so aggressive. So you know, when you are able to wade in like that and just go go nuts the way Kutalaba does, be very aggressive, he's going to test that chin, and I don't know if that's going to stand up. Now, and again, you see it's a minus ten for Kutalaba to get him out of there via KO, TK, or DQ. Nine to one in the sub. Now, you mentioned he would have uh, an advantage on the ground. Would Kutalaba be patient to work for a sub or go ground and pound, which would go back to the KO, TK, or DQ? Probably ground and pound because he has yet to even attempt a submission right. in the UFC. So that is a number that I look at. Neither one of these guys has actually attempted submissions. Um, so Kutalaba, you know, he, he is spending a lot of time in control and he's taking people down, but it's more for wrestling and control time and ground and pound. Doesn't seem to be going for many submissions. So I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, it seems like advantages all the way around by the data, certainly, uh, to back Ian Kutsulaba at minus 205. We've talked a lot about catchweights. It feels like that's going to be the theme of this card here at UFC 279. Uh, Mace on is going to be in one of those catchweights now. It looks like that they're going to have this fight at 140 pounds against Aldana. Uh, what do you make of that subtle change as you go up from 135 to 140? Uh, and again, it, it's not going to affect your data points that you have here. And what have you seen before we saw that this would be a catchweight bout? So this is a situation, another one, where it actually works in our favor. So I was actually paying attention to the weight classes here because Macy Chason went up to featherweight, won. I, I, I believe it was an upset, mm -hmm. split decision, and I, I was backing her in that fight. Uh, and it was the control time. It was her style. It was leaning against a cage, uh, making it a grinder of a fight. And that's exactly what she needs to do against Aldana. Aldana is absolutely the slicker striker. No question. So if they are just standing at range and trading, it's not going to go well for Chason. But she has the style to get up close, push her against the cage, maybe drag her down. And that is actually what she should be doing. So this stylistically works for Chason. So there's a little bit of value on the dog here. Um, it's not a huge play. I mean, I, I still think Aldana is going to you know, piece her up at a distance. But I think there's potential for an upset. I look at the the, the total here, and it's juiced heavily. You can understand why minus dollar ninety five with the added weight. Does that give more credence to the over? That again, if Chase on, she don't want to stay standing. So if she can get this fight down to the ground, more more likely outcome as we go all three. Uh, I I would also take the over here. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think she if she is doing what she needs to do, which is to stretch this fight, 
make it up close, drag it out, then yes, I don't think Aldana is going to get finished by strikes, certainly. Um, probably not a submission, uh, but I, I do think it's going the over, and I and it could be very close. You know, this could be a split decision type situation. Um, you know, the models are kind of in, in between, but they're close enough that I see value. I only have about a minute to go, but I do want to point out your book here, Fightnomics, for everybody here. Tell the people what the, the basis uh, was for writing this book. It, it, it boils down to being in a taxi with UFC producers, and someone literally said, when you know, I asked all these questions, how often does this happen? Have you thought about this? I was even pitching like behavioral economics for bonuses. Wow. Uh, and he was like, go, go figure it out. Go scrape a website and figure <laughs> it out, smart guy. And then I stumbled on, you know, Fightmetric right at that time had created the system that we now use for MMA metrics and they quantified everything. And so I just did a benchmarking analysis. It was what consultants do. It's what I got trained to do. I'm not a good book model read, but it's a, it's a fascinating read. You need to check it out. Uh, again, Reed, great to have you in studio as always, my friend. Thanks for making the trip. Great to be back. I want to thank Lou Finnecaro. I want to thank Jordan Sherwood. And, and Britton Hass, our producer, does a great job as well. Enjoy UFC 279, whatever it looks like. It is First Strike on Visa and the Sports Betting Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.